0: Hi there my friends and welcome to the Brent Poland Podcast with me, Brent, where I get to have a discussion, debate, internal thoughts about the human condition, meaning of life, past, the present, and the future, and generally, whatever takes my fancy. Well, let's see, what does compassion? Well, if you go to a dictionary, um, you find lots of words which Are similar to compassion, you find empathy, um, you find altruism, you find sympathy, you find kindness. But actually, compassion is more than that. Compassion is probably the mother of all of those human emotions. Because compassion, it seems, is a strong feeling of sympathy and sadness for suffering or bad luck of somebody else. But also the action or the wishing to take an action to alleviate that suffering. So you may have sympathy for somebody, but maybe do nothing about it. Whereas compassion is where you are moved to take action to help that person, which kind of makes it the kind of mother superior or the top dog of some of the the, the human emotions. It it is very much connected to love. Uh, Well, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me. god I'm not going down that road because what is love that I'm feeling I'm just trying it out love songs at the moment but compassion is something that is very hard to define because for one person compassion would be different to another person it's cultural it's part of again this human condition of uh, one society's version of compassion might be slightly different to another every religion has compassion in it every religion talks about compassion it seems to be a central tenement of all sort of the religions from buddhism hinduism to christianity to islam judaism they all have compassion running right through them and if you look at you know quotes about compassion you find saints the dalai lama you find confucius shang su you find every person talking about compassion it is ancient in its understanding because it is one of the base human emotions, one of those base human um, feelings that we have towards each other. From an anthropological point of view, it, this goes all the way back from biologists that studied this. You know, why are we compassionate? Is it a survival mechanism? Sociologists study, study this from a point of view of, you know, collective compassion of, or individual compassion. Psychologists study this for obviously understanding the mechanisms of how compassion triggers parts of the brain or is not triggered by parts of the brain. Um, look at all the different fields from neurobiology they're studying this idea of compassion it's it's one of those very deep philosophical um, words that invokes within and all of us some emotions and some memories Um, because I think every human being as far as I'm aware has the ability to feel compassion and even the most evilest people in the world at some stage have had compassion shown to them I know the likes of adolf hitler you know he was an evil man there's no doubting that but his mother showed him a huge amount of compassion not his father but his mother and he himself reciprocated those feelings towards his mother so he was capable of showing compassion my fascination with this from an educational point of view from a teaching point of view always comes around january time of the year when i study with my year nines as i legally meant to and i I always will as a history teacher study the holocaust i always choose to study it in january to coincide with january 27th which is the liberation of auschwitz and the holocaust memorial day because i always like to dovetail my lessons to what's happening in the world so it's not by accident that Gunpowder Night is, is studied at the time of Gunpowder Night or World War One is studied around November because it makes more sense to make what I'm trying to teach children relevant if it's more, they're more aware more conscious or more likely to come across the information outside school. But every year for the last 17 years as a history teacher, I've always taught the Holocaust. And every year I look at a different aspect of the Holocaust. And in particular, last year, as a father myself, I was struck by the story of Rudolf Hess. And I realised that one of the resources I use, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, is an excellent resource to use for children. It's perfectly pitched at their age to help them understand and help them empathise with a child's view of the Holocaust. But it struck me that the actual story background of that must be, and I'm not entirely sure whether it's true or not, but it, it strikes as a strange coincidence, if not, must be based on Rudolf Hess, who was the commandant of Auschwitz, who, to all intents and purposes, was a model citizen, a good father, a loving husband. His own memoirs show that he did not understand or could not appreciate the, the gravity of, by day, he was killing 20,000 people quite efficiently and following orders. And by night he was tucking his children into bed and reading them bedtime stories. His all accounts from even Holocaust survivors who served in the household suggested that he was a loving father and a loving husband and a man capable of great compassion. And and that fascinate, fascinates me to try and teach that. How do I communicate that to children? How how do I communicate to children that there are people in the world who are evil and then there are people in the world who are good? I mean, that's the Marvel version of the world. That's the DC Comics version of the world. That's the good guys in one corner and the bad guys in the other corner. That's the yin and the yang, the black and the white, the up and the down, the, 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 the Jedi and the Sith. Whatever you want to call it, good and evil, how can I reconcile to try and teach 13-year-old children that there was a man who was just like their own father, tucking their children into bed and reading a bedtime story is capable then of of going out and committing atrocities and this brought me back to some of the research that my wife um, who 's a psychologist, was looking into the the different types of our brain. Um, we have the three three different states of our brain: the, the mammalian brain, the reptilian brain, and the, the the metacognitive human brain. And and those that believe in that theory of the evolutionary of our human brain believe a lot of our problems stem from the fact that our brains aren't connected. Our multiple brains aren't connected, and they would theorize following the work of the likes of Stanley Milkram, for instance and those psychologists in the 1960s who were doing lots of experiments on, on, on social theories about how you switch one side of the brain on and then switch the other side off and that would help explain how compassion also works, how people can be so compassionate and then not so compassionate because for me it's, I find it difficult to understand and I have to communicate this to the next generation that you know there are people capable of great evil but also capable of loving their own children and that is a very strange thing to communicate to the children and certainly as a case study you know Hess himself is is, is fascinating how he um, efficiently went about his business as a a normal everyday citizen and and certainly the studies that, uh, that were shown Um, especially by milkrum for instance about two-thirds of people would commit murder if they were ordered to do so giving over their free will they would shut off one rational logical side of their brain and give over their free will um they're quite shocking it's quite shocking then we know this because we see how mobs act we see the the bystander thing and 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 you know there's an accident there's 50 people standing around everybody looks at each other and we call it the bystander effect, we call it, isn't it? And I see that in the playground. I see, you know, I see 50 kids in the playground baying for each other's blood, shouting, fight, 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 fight. Like, it's feeding time at the zoo. And yet, these individual children are sweet-natured, loving, affectionate, you're compassionate to each other. Stick them in a mob. And it's like Rome it's like football match you go to a football match you get forty thousand people like forty thousand savages banging for blood you know making noises like way you know enchanting horrible stuff at each other and what as soon as they walk out the door out of the football match it's kind of like yeah, how you doing how you doing and it, it's it's strange how I've seen people be able to switch off and switch on um different parts of themselves and and that is is quite fascinating and it has huge implications for compassion because it shows that We shouldn't judge people for perceiving the lack of compassion because we don't know. We don't know um, about people's backgrounds. We don't know um, what they've been through. And, And there are many quotes about we shouldn't judge people because we've not walked in their shoes. And certainly, empathy is one of those things that helps make up compassion. Empathy gives you that ability to try and think like other people. But in order to have compassion you have to have compassion for yourself. And and that is, as part of my, my job all the time, is, is to try and instill within the next generation this idea that they need to like themselves and, and that they must have compassion first and foremost for themselves. And I know, again, a lot of compassion-focused therapists, for instance, and people who are into well-being and mindfulness would agree with me on this, is that people aren't very kind to themselves and and yet we can't expect them to show compassion to others without having the ability to show compassion to themselves so the first rule of compassion I suppose is that you have to have it for yourself in order to give it to others but like the um the airplane when you put your mask on in the airplane um you put the mask on to yourself in order to look after the other person and What I can see at the moment within our public services and and those giving services, those compassionate services, the caregivers, God bless, them, and the nurses and the doctors, they are truly compassionate people because not only do they give empathy and not only do they give sympathy and all the other actions, but they actually do the compassionate things well. They do the actions that go with it as well. They sit down with people. I mean, Macmillan nurses, those individuals that look after people, genuinely look after people, they can only really look after other people if they themselves are so well-grounded and so well-compassionate. My own profession in teaching, we are compassionate. But at the same time, it's hard sometimes to be compassionate to a child who's screaming at you. But we, we always try to be. We really do. I do. Because I know that when I'm trying to grow and nurture a child even my own children they do mirror what you you give them they are they, they mirror and the same goes with animals as well you I mean you could show compassion to to animals you just have children animals humanity I mean Einstein said that about you know you, you have to show compassion to everything not just ourselves. I mean, there's so many different philosophers have talked about that. Um, Albert Schweitzer talks about that, for instance, um, having compassion for the whole, not just yourself or our mankind, but the whole of nature as well needs compassion as well. But our children, the, the compassion that they have for each other has to be grown and nurtured, has to be put there. And when I'm handing out work back to them, I, I often, I have to show them that I'm not that I'm criticising them because the problem is as soon as I turn around and say you've done really well and then comes however and the but and then I have to not criticise them I have to tell them to do something and improve it it can be misread it can be misread as criticism and without if they're very weak in compassion for themselves they're very vulnerable they're not stoic and they're not resilient they can misread that every child I've ever taught somehow thinks that every teacher hates them I've got to work hard to convince them. Actually, I genuinely like you. You know, I'm here because I care. I mean, because the first default is as soon as you criticize somebody, that you don't like them. And we are living in that world at the moment. We are so living in that world. And I think social media definitely amplifies it. Social media, media technology is not helping us whatsoever being compassionate. I find it difficult to look at somebody and not be compassionate to them on an individual level. However, I get behind a keyboard, it's a very different beast. And I see that a lot. I see it so much. I see it in an adult life. I see it in my professional life. I see it in so many walks of life that there's a there's a definite disconnect between the compassion that people show. It's the same as, as Rudolf Hess. the same as, you know, he switches one side of his brain on. I, I get people who, who are absolutely... You know, beasts on the internet, they, they, they horrible to each other, absolutely horrible to each other. I and mean, you talk about Brexit, you talk about the, the troubles that I grew up in in Northern Ireland, the them and us, you talk about your Trump supporters in America, Black Lives Matter, you talk about all of these divisional things and all of a sudden, immigration, migration, Brexit, the European Union. Wow. I, I have people who face-to-face I can have a great conversation with, sit down and have a pint with. On the internet, I've had to had to block people who I'm friends with on the internet, and actually say to them, "Can we just have this conversation in person?" Because if we, if we had this conversation in person, we wouldn't be like this. We 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 would, and I think it is because if you can see the person, if you can see if you can see what the comment that you make and the impact that it has, I think you're more compassionate. I think you're more. I think you're more inclined to compromise then. I think you're more inclined to realise that the words that you're saying hurt. But this removal, it's almost like the gas chamber, isn't it? You know, the, the guy, Rudolf Hess, that did the gas chamber just simply turned around and it was numbers. He casually talked about the, the the fact that he, how many people he killed per day, which is business to him, it was just numbers. It was, he was removed from it. Hitler himself never visited a gas chamber. He didn't go there. He didn't witness any acts of cruelty. It was out of sight, out of mind. And he sort of, he must understand that that, that human beings, every human being, when they look at another human being in distress, it's in our nature. We, we're not evil creatures. We, we are moved to help. And we've seen that with the COVID crisis. I've, you've seen the best of humanity throughout the whole COVID crisis. You've seen... So many volunteers, so many individuals out there doing good work. <laughs> the, the, the killer of it is, of course, that we can't hug each other and make physical contact. And I'm a hugger. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I am a hugger. I love a bear hug. I'm a, I'm a hugger and a patter and a backer. Um, I'm a high-fiver. I'm one of those teachers who goes down the corridor and will high-five. You know the high-five at a top go when you do the high-low one? I'm one of those. Secondly, annoying guys um, i have some of my colleagues who look at me and go he's not doing that thing again i, I don't mind being embarrassed I, I'm, I'm that type of guy i have no boundaries in that i'm irish we we, we are more emotionally in tune with ourselves and, and certainly my, my parents are a lot more they raised me to be more emotionally in tune to express myself and, and to, to feel and to think for myself but also not to hold back on my thoughts and my feelings which is one of the reasons why i'm having these conversations The thing about it is, is that that physical contact, that smile, that connections that you make from being compassionate actually makes you healthier. Studies show that people who are compassionate live longer, are happier, and that your body produces chemicals. Oxytocin gets produced, you know, the the bonding chemical when you show compassion to people. Um, your DNA, there's even studies that show your DNA could be slightly altered. And it it is, when you look at people who are compassionate and you look at people you know are compassionate, those charity workers, people like that, they have a glow about them, don't they? They do actually look healthy and they have a, you know, smile on their face because they have got within them a reserve, a barrier, like layers of the onions come back up and and therefore it, it... bewilders me that we don't have more compassion or kindness and empathy in, in the world because there's nothing about it that's bad it's all good being good to people that's kind to people empathetic to people helping people nurturing people growing people it's what is wrong with it i mean i it's kind of like the done thing it's it's the essence of humanity and every great person in history you note, know, any great leader anybody of any nobility is compassionate I mean some of the greatest stories and some of the greatest heroes I was doing a lesson on 9 oh gosh 9-11 my, my students chose to chose the topic and oh gosh it, it was the first responders and the students they're they're born after the event and I took them through and I showed them some footage of the first responders going in those firefighters that went without thought for their own selves went into those buildings and sadly of well over 500 of them lost their lives that's the best of humanity I think on that day that the quote was that the best and the worst of humanity the worst of humanity but then also you saw the response to the best of humanity so for me compassion it's it's the best of humanity it's what we strive for and it's idealistic and and, and it's got to be it's got to be true compassion not the i'm seeing to be doing something not like the people who give to charity so they can say they give to charity true compassion is not fake compassion true compassion is, is comes from that place where it is genuine it has to be genuine otherwise it's not sustainable because if you you have to have it within you in order to give to others the, that compassion has to come from a pool of reserve for yourself otherwise you get burned out and I suppose that's the other thing we're seeing with, with is, is compassion fatigue isn't it Um we saw that we, we you know One of my first times, I think, I I became compassionate when it was Africa, 1984, Um, feed the world. I remember watching that. News reports of Michael Burke. I was about six years old. I cried. I looked at my parents. They cried. The world was moved into one moment, I think, was the first signal of globalisation 1984. And that feed the world. And that that moved the whole world into compassion, which showed exactly what, again, humanity can do. I never forget Geldof screaming down um, the television, you know, swearing, swearing. Send us the money. You see, that's that's the essence of boiled down to the purest form. Trying to help other people. And yeah, you know, cynically, some people, oh, he made a lot of money out of it and his reputation. But they didn't do it for that. They did it because, like myself, a six-year-old kid, they were moved into action. They, they saw human beings suffering. And they acted. And afterwards, people could unpick the bones of it and, and, and pick holes in it all they want. But we've seen so many times in human history, Maximilian Kolbe, Visited his cell in Auschwitz. I visited his cell. He was a Catholic priest, and he gave his life for other people. He just stood in, and he's a patron saint of, of one of, of my school. He's one of the patron saints. And when you read the stories ordinary people moved into extraordinary, compassionate acts, it can't help but uplift the human soul. It can't. Help, but uplift and make us want to be better. That's really what I strive for as an educator, as a father, as a person who who leads other people. That's what I strive for, to be compassionate, to be remembered for it, to be remembered for somebody who helped other people. That's how I was raised. That's how I would like to see myself I hope that I am as a union representative it's one of the reasons why I'm proud to be a union representative because I see some of my colleagues suffering and I'm moved to help and defend them and that's in my nature that's that's who I am um that's what I want to pass on I suppose that's in the in the end uh, the legacy that we leave isn't it Jill Biden, who's the president of America's future president of America, depending when you listen to this, um, very intelligent woman, says education teaches us compassion and kindness and connection to others. Mandela says our human compassion binds us the one to the other, not in pity or patronizingly, but as human beings who have learned how to turn our common suffering into hope for the future. That's, that's deep, that's Mandela. I mean, that's a man himself who showed compassion to others who hadn't shown it to him. That's, that's the strength of that. All major religions, traditions carry basically the same meshes. That is love, compassion and forgiveness. The important thing is, they should be part of our daily lives. That's the Dalai Lama that said that. Uthant was a leader in the 20th century. Wars begin in the minds of men, and in those minds, love and compassion would have built the defense of peace. That's personal to me, that. If you have compassion, you are less likely to hate. And if you're less likely to hate, you're less likely to bully, less likely to destroy. You're more likely to think about the consequences of your actions. That is the fundamentals as an historian and a history teacher of what I'm constantly trying to teach about causality. If we had more compassion, then we would have a better world, would we not? We, 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 we would not, we would have such a better world. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle. That's Plato said that. It's well over 2000 years ago Plato said that. So this battle for the human soul and, And this desire for greater compassion is going on for thousands of years. Human kindness has never weakened the stamina or softened the fibre of a free people. A nation does not have to be cruel to be tough. Roosevelt said that. And all those hard men, all those hard leaders, always talk about how hard they are. But actually, in leadership... There is a type of leadership called authentic leadership. Authentic leadership, and that has applications for showing compassion in the workplace. It, you know the type of boss that you are, the type of leader that you are. And I look at a lot of our leaders at the moment, and they are sadly missing. I look at the successful ones: Jacinda Ardern has compassion when there was gunshot victims in, in Australia, in, in New Zealand. Sorry. She was amazing how she dealt with that. Earthquake victims, COVID. She oozes compassion for her people. Genuine compassion. She cares. I intrinsically will be motivated as a worker for someone who shows me compassion a lot more than someone who doesn't care for me. Our leaders and people in authority in any level, from our councils to our political leaders to people who run our businesses... If they cannot show compassion, I don't think they can lead. It's got to be one of the fundamental strong points. I would like our leaders of the future to show more compassion. It's never weakness. Compassion is never weakness. It's quite the opposite. A great nation is a compassionate nation. Martin Luther King said that. It is easy enough to be friendly to one's friends, but to befriend the one who regards himself as your enemy is the quintessential quintessence of true religion. The other is merely business. That is Gandhi. And that is also, you know, in, in, in Christianity comes, you know, love your enemy. Show compassion to them. And throughout my, my life, I've done nothing to try to do that. From the compassion of people who've wronged me, compassion to the children, is sometimes, you know, I'll always forgive them. So if, even if they've you know, spoke at a turn or they've done something to annoy their teeth, I'll always forgive them. Because if I could show them compassion, then... I do firmly believe it gets shown back to you. It's it's just one of those things you have to do as a leap of faith. Sometimes compassion. Remember that everyone you meet is afraid of something, loves something, and has lost something. Every single person has it within them to have compassion or be compassionate. True compassion means only feeling another's pain but also be moved and helped to relieve it and that's daniel goldman said that so it's about doing something it is about doing something and i listened to recently an interview with this gentleman terry wait again from my childhood very very powerful man a very powerful powerful man from the point of view of forgiveness he was kept captive in beirut for years in isolation And I listened to his half an hour interview on the radio recently. And it was moving. It was moving how he again shows compassion and forgiveness to those that wronged him. And I'll leave you with this last quote from him. At the end of the day, love and compassion will win. Thanks for listening, my friends, and if you enjoyed what you heard, then please like, share, and subscribe. And any feedback that you can give me would be more than appreciated. <laughs> Teachers love feedback. You can find me on Twitter at BrentPoland1. You can find me on YouTube at BrentPoland1. Funny enough, Instagram, my account is BrentPoland1. However, my Facebook is my local Arrowwash Green Party, and that is Erewash Green at Facebook. Thank you again, my friends.